Kristen, we're here in a abandoned office in my workplace, uh, which is at AM New York. Uh, Newsday owns AM New York. So we found a office that's not being used, and we're sitting here at someone's old desk. Why are we here? Well, look at my arm, and you'll see why. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing two red dots. And then another one on this hand. Mm-hmm. I see one more red dot. And then I have one on my ankle and one on my foot. These are bed bug bites. Bed bugs. You've got bed bugs. Yeah. Every once in a while, um, people in New York come home and find bed bug bites on themselves. New York has a very special situation with bed bugs. And in movie theaters, it's quite common for there to be bed bugs. And Rafer, you and I spend a lot of time in movie theaters. Yes, we do. So, you know, there was that screening of a certain movie we're going to be reviewing this week, all about Moses and those plagues. Yes, you got one of the plagues. <laughs> yes, I did. So what happened was that night I got home from the theater. I'm like, I think these are bed bug bites, and I'm allergic to them. And the next morning my bite areas were swollen up like crazy. I went into work, and I told them I got bit at a screening last night. I called the movie theater. I got the search dog to smell around my house. I got the search dog to come into the office. Sure enough, they didn't stay in the movie theater. They came home with me. I threw out my couch, I threw out my bed, and I've been living out of plastic bags. My house has been fumigated three times, and I'm not allowed back in the office building until the all-clear has been given at the office as well. So now we're in your office, right? <laughs> so that's why. That's why we can't be at a professional recording studio today, because you've been kicked out. You're unclean. You're unclean, <laughs> Kristen. It's all Moses' fault. Or child God, which we'll explain what child God means later. All right, let's save that. But first, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Rafer Guzman, movie critic for Newsday. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture producer for The Takeaway, and this is Movie Date. Well, before we get to the new movie, Exodus, Gods and Kings, and we explain the plagues and the child god, <laughs> let's first talk about uh, another movie that's been getting a lot of buzz. It's the new comedy from Chris Rock. It's called Top Five. Uh, this Chris Rock plays sort of a version of himself, or you might say maybe Eddie Murphy or maybe Adam Sandler. He's a comedian, a stand-up comedian who's done very well in Hollywood. He's now made a lot of very popular but pretty stupid movies, and he wants to leave all that behind and become a serious actor. He wants to be taken seriously. He's starring now in a movie about a Haitian uprising because he thought that was a good, serious drama to do. He gets assigned uh, to do a, um, a profile in the New York Times. A New York Times reporter played by Rosario Dawson is going to interview him, spend the day and the evening with him walking around New York City, and then she's going to write a piece on him. Here's a clip. You know what? People are more accepting now, and thank God for that, because it is literally rough for women, okay? Yeah. But I am hopeful because people are changing, yeah. okay? Things are changing, and you need to wake up and smell the progress. No, 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 no. You need wake to up wake up. The progress. Okay, nothing's changed. Cha- yes. Something's never changed. Thank God things hey, changed. look at this. Black man trying to get a cab in New York City. Ha-ha, <laughs> watch, watch this What's bullshit. Black man trying to get a cab. Look at this. Ha-ha, <laughs> taxi, taxi. Taxi, taxi, yeah. <sighs> I just love Chris Rock, and I love Rosario Dawson. 
I do too. I do too. She plays. Uh, her name's Chelsea in this movie. Um, I think she's really fun, really enjoyable. It's uh, it's nice to see her in this movie. Um, I think the two of them, by the way, work really well together in this movie. Do you think? Oh yeah, I think so too. And um, you know, this whole movie, we should point out, even though we're dealing with superstars like Chris Rock and his superstar friends, because some of them make appearances like Jerry Seinfeld and. Oh, I shouldn't ruin it by some... If I mention any of the other names, I'll let them be a surprise. But even though we're dealing with really big budget names, it kind of feels like just a special little indie movie to me. It didn't feel like a big Hollywood production. Yeah, it it feels a lot of ways, um, to me, almost like one of the old French New Wave movies. It's just two people kind of walking around, uh, having fun, and enjoying the city. I mean, you get to see all kinds of New York City in this movie, which is great. Um, and uh, Yeah, at the screening I was at, people, when they saw a neighborhood they knew would yell it out. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. That's, oh, that's cool. <laughs> I think I saw it with a bunch of critics. We were all just sort of sitting there in stony silence, as critics always do. Oh, I saw it with the public. All right, all right. Probably the best way to see it. Um, now, what did you think of it overall? You know, that whole indie feeling, which was a real surprise, I thought worked really well for this. And... You know, until you said French New Wave, I wasn't thinking that. But yeah, it has a feeling of that. And I thought it was wonderful, simple. A lot of the things are going to be obvious for anybody who follows media and how the behind the scenes world works with junkets and with, you know, interviewing and with publicity and with reality TV. All of that stuff's going to seem pretty obvious, but I don't think it matters. I think that it's just really well rendered characters, really great conversations and a little bit of magic in it, too. And and I just really loved this movie. And also, it was great to see Rosario Dawson doing something... You know that she got her big start in Kids, right? That's right, the Larry Clark film. Which is another movie of just walking around New York at night with your friends. And it reminded me a little bit of that, and it showed us how far she's come since then. And I still think she's just terrific. And to quote... What you were saying to me last night, Rafer, she just looks terrific on camera. She does. She does. Um, yeah, I think she's really good in this movie. Uh, I found this movie kind of maddening. What? What? Yeah. Rafer? Yeah. Maddening? Here's, yes. You just compared it to French New Wave and now you're calling it maddening? Here's the problem. I think it has uh, some elements in it of really dopey, crude, raunchy humor that I thought was... Not funny, not believable, not um, not clever. And I know what you're talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Yes. There's a Cedric the Entertainer is in this film. He plays a, a kind of a local uh, chaperone for Chris Rock. Um, and um, I won't spoil the other one because it's something of a plot twist. Um, but I felt that those scenes were really not very well handled. I thought they were pretty dumb and gross. And they didn't add anything to me, and I felt like they took a lot away from the movie's inherent intelligence, and it made me question some of the other things that were going on in the movie. Like, like what other things? The characterization, I did not really buy the um, alcoholism recovery subplot. I don't want to go too much more into it, because I think, again, I don't want to spoil too much, but it didn't ring true to me. And just... Ultimately, I just found it a very maddening experience because there were times when it seemed like a a massive letdown and times when it was just sparkling and fun and magical. And I was flip-flopping back and forth between Mm. these two. And ultimately, I would have to say that Top 5 is kind of an okay date, but it should have been 
a fantastic date, and I just couldn't quite go there with it. You know, I have to disagree with you, Rafer. I thought it was a really good date. It was a great surprise. I had no idea what the tone was going to be, what the characters were going to be. And I was really happily surprised because I did think it was a mostly smart movie that was willing to be dumb some of the time. But mostly I walked out of the movie thinking I felt the magic they were trying to convey. And that made me really happy. So top five, I'm saying it's a good date. All right. All right. Hold your breath underwater. We will stay we Okay, so next up, Exodus, Gods, Ooh. and Kings. Kristen. And bedbugs. <laughs> the eighth plague, the eighth plague. After the killing of the firstborn comes the bedbugs. All right, so everyone probably knows by now that this is the story of uh, Moses, played by Christian Bale. He, of course, was once a he- uh, an Egyptian prince. Finds out that he is... You can tell because he's white. You can tell because he's white. And has just the slightest accent. Uh, well, anyway... He finds out, of course, that he is actually Hebrew. Uh, He is exiled from Egypt, and of course, as the story goes, he uh, sees God. God speaks to him and says, you are going to have to lead the Jews out of Egypt. He's going to do this. There will be plagues. The Pharaoh, played by Joel Edgerton, will harden his heart. And of course, at the end, we'll get to the parting of the Red Sea. It's all going to happen. First, here's a clip. Babe, I'm going to ask you again. And if your answer is again no, I apologize for what happens next. Are you his sister? No. Yes! So, Kristen, let me just start out by asking whether or not you were a fan of the original, the old, great Hollywood film, The Ten Commandments. You know, I just rewatched this in the last month, and it's, you know, it's got problems. Some of the speeches are too long. Some of the things are just a little heavy-handed. But all the girls are very sexy. They're all wearing, like, very tight little gold Egyptian costumes. And when Moses comes in and you're at the well with your sisters, you all just try to get him to be with you. Ooh, man. Ooh, let's touch his chest. Let me wash his feet. Oh, yeah. Oh, Moses, can I massage you? You know, all of that stuff is Why are the chicks always trying to wash my feet? (laughs) You go to a party, they're always, oh, let me wash your feet. Enough. But, But for all of its problems, I think the old one at least is kind of fun. At times it's slow, at times it's long winded, but at least it's fun at times. And I'm going to say straight up right now, this new Exodus movie, not fun. Not fun? Ever. Not even a little bit, even though God is a child. Yes, now explain that to us. Oh. God God the child, because this is a very controversial part of the film that the uh, faith-based consumer, which is a, uh, well, it's exactly what you think it is. It's a consumer advocacy organization for uh, the faith-based uh, audience. They're, they were part of the outcry against Noah earlier this year, and they've already come out uh, against uh, Exodus saying that they think the idea of God as a child is going to be a deal-breaker for the faith-based viewer. What did you think? Explain to us what this means. Well, the first time that the child appeared, by the way, I have to say, it really bummed me out. We watched the movie over an hour before we see that burning bush. That's right. 
my God, what was going on during that first hour? There's a lot of backstory to get through. Oh, but you know what? The backstory didn't include the basket, which is my favorite. Yeah, no, Love that yeah. baby in a basket. Yeah, no baby in a basket. No, sadly. Babies in a basket on the river are awesome, but I not know. in this movie. No, because no, that'd be too fun. Anywho, so it's more than an hour into the movie. Moses is laying in a mudslide situation on the to his face. Yeah. yeah, seriously, only his face is showing at this point. And then he looks over at a bush, and standing next to the bush is maybe an eight-year-old? Yeah, the actor is 11. Uh, oh, Isaac, 11, Isaac Andrews, sorry. Yeah. And he is saying in a British accent, as God speaks in, yep. little white boy, you know, this is your fate, this is what you have to do. And um, first I was mad that God took so long to show up, which I know the, the, the poor Hebrews were wondering for 400 years also why That's God right. wasn't showing up earlier, so I can sit through an hour and 10 minutes, right? But I also, I mean, I thought the kid was fine, but I, I did kind of want to see the bush talking. Oh, you wanted to see, you wanted to see the, the big, you wanted the big, deep-voiced burning bush. Yeah, I mean, I love Exodus. Exodus is probably the best book in the Bible to make a movie out of everything. Sure. exciting in Exodus. You know, you have slaves, you have plagues. Those plagues are awesome, but... You know, I just, I don't, I don't know why, why, Rafer, explain why this had to be a little British white boy. I, I think uh, Ridley Scott, who amazingly enough is the director of this film, Ridley Scott, Blade Runner, uh, Prometheus, uh, Alien. Alien. I mean, my God. Uh, I think it was his idea to kind of update a little bit and um, interpret, uh, get creative with the whole Exodus book. I think he wanted to get away from the big green screen spectacle of the old 1960s biblical epics. Um, So I think that was his idea. I would have to say that the movie does almost every single thing wrong. There's a long list of issues. There's a long list. We should should just go through some of the things on the list that are wrong, but... Let's just start out with John Turturro as (laughs) as one one of the pharaohs. (laughs) Speaking, trying to speak your sort of classic Shakespearean English with just a hint of a Queen's accent in there somewhere. Uh, I mean, that... I mean, you and I were at the same screening... John Turturro is one of the first things you see in this movie. People started laughing. Yes, they sure did. They started they laughing. And it wasn't just the fantastic eye makeup he was wearing. It wasn't just the cat eye makeup. No, it was, <laughs> it was, it was the voice. It was everything. And I got to tell you, the, the, the titters built to guffaws as we watched the screening. Do you remember the scene with Joel Edgerton as Ramses the Pharaoh? He's got no shirt on. It's all oiled up. And with the snake? And he's got the snake wrapped around him. And he's like making out with the snake. He's like a, he's like Nastasha Kinski or something. He's all canoodling with the cobra. And we have that kind of pharaoh guy who's gay. Oh God, Ben Mendelsohn as uh, as Hegep, the um, the Egyptian viceroy who makes elevator eyes at, at Joel at Joel Edgerton. Yeah, and he's not even like subtle at his hinting of what he wants to do to him. No, he play he's like he's like divine. He play, <laughs> he, play, he plays it like he's like he's divine or like he's Oscar Wilde or something. Have I, have I displeased you? And is there anything I could do to please you? <laughs> Up, down, up, down, up, down with the eyes. Oh, God, I couldn't believe they did that. I couldn't believe it. And, you know, there's a lot of controversy surrounding this film also. I already mentioned the whiteness of the movie. Yeah. And Ridley Scott has come to the defense. He's saying, that was my choice. This makes sense. And um, But there was an uproar with a lot of viewers thinking, well, we're talking about Egypt here. True. Why are all these blue-eyed, pale people doing here? <laughs> what is going on in, in this Egypt? 
this imagined Egypt of yours. Let's remember, Egypt's in Africa. Yeah, I, look, I hear you. I hear you. And I, uh, you know, I mean, on the one hand, I defend Ridley Scott saying, you know, I found the best actor for the job and who I thought could play the part regardless of skin color. And, you know, I respect that. But it, it, it does kind of play into a, a long tradition of Hollywood hokiness, you oh, know? Oh, yeah. First Charlton Heston, now Christian Bale. <laughs> also, can I talk about, for a second the naturalizing of these plagues. They try to make them look like they just kind of naturally occur, including the parting of the Red Sea, which right. uh, I think in some way is like, oh, we're trying to make it look realistic that this would happen. But in a way, it also just, like... It just doesn't look like anything. No, it's just like, oh, that's not a plague. That's just like, oh, whatever, some alligators got mad. Right. So now the sea is bloody because all these alligators got upset and started biting things. Right. Well, and you know, it's interesting. He does, Ridley Scott goes for this big kind of, you know, Irwin Allen disaster film style, right? You know, everyone's, it's always a cast of thousands. They're always screaming, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, here come, the, here come the alligators. Chomp. And you remember the old, the old, the original Ten Commandments? It was that just that great, that great red, red color so seeping into the water and so just kind of freaking you out and creepy, you know. Um, and I'm going to point something else out: uh, the Pharaoh doesn't even know that these plagues are connected to the Jews until about halfway through the plagues. Yeah, and, and Moses is never actually saying those magical words, let my people go. That's he correct. He never says that he in the whole... He never says it. And so there's no way to connect it to anything. Exactly. If, if you don't let my people go, this is going to happen. We never hear that. No, the Pharaoh's just going, what's with the alligators? <laughs> I, I, can anyone explain these alligators to me? And no one can. No one's been warned. No, no God has not spoken. So, no. Yeah. Very, very, very... Just really wrong-headed, wrong-headed movie. I, I, I was expecting better things because I'm a big fan of Ridley Scott, but I thought Exodus, Gods and Kings, was not just a terrible date. I thought it was. It's like, it's like an old-fashioned Hollywood bomb. It is like it's it is like horrible. a like a flop in the way that I have not seen a flop in many, many a year. And it's so long. So long. It's like not a flop that you can leave in 90 minutes. <laughs> you are there for hours and hours and hours. Waiting for deliverance. <laughs> Waiting. 100% agree with you. Exodus, bad, bad date. Horrible date. Yes, I agree. All right, Raper. Well, the second half of this week's podcast, maybe things will get a little bit more exciting because we're going to talk about the Golden Globe nominations. We're going to do that. Plus, as always, there's trivia, plus our sweatpants conversation for the week, which um, isn't necessarily a recommendation, a conversation. Stay with us. I'm Rafer Guzman. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. And this is Movie Date. And we are coming to you today from Rafer's office. That's right. <laughs> That's why the sound quality sounds so awesome today. Sorry about that, everybody. <laughs> but we're always with you online, even if we're not in our regular studio. Look at our Facebook page. Look at our pictures. You can see this wonderful mic stand that Rafer set up in his office for us today at facebook.com slash Podcast. So... Every week, as you know, we have a sweatpants pick if you don't wanna if you don't wanna leave your house. You're wearing sweatpants. It's Monday. <laughs> 
Never mind the Queen of England. I don't know, does the Queen of England only wear sweatpants? When you are a man, sometimes you wear stretchy pants in your room. So, Kristen, give us the sweatpants rundown. This week, we chose Marco Polo to discuss. This is the new series, which just this weekend launched on Netflix. All the episodes are up right now. And supposedly, according to Harvey Weinstein, it's the most expensive television series ever made with the exception of Game of Thrones. It's kind of the Netflix answer to Game of Thrones. Yeah, $90 million, I think? I think so, yeah. That's right. And this uh, multi-part series, every episode is now available online, and it follows the adventures of Marco Polo going to the Orient and... (laughs) (laughs) Say that again, Kristen? (laughs) Am I allowed to do that because I'm Asian or am I not? You're allowed, I'm not. Because that's the way all the girls, and by all the girls, I mean like... All three of them mm-hmm. talk in this. But um, we have Marco Polo going off to Asia. We have the guys there who are in charge, the emperors and the soldiers and so on, who are uh, dealing with political strife, dealing with exploration from the West. We have uh, people who are teaching Marco Polo the secrets of how to fight and how to love. Here's a clip. Marco. The blood of an adventurer courses through your veins. I can say this. You will enjoy the greatest adventure of all. Don't you love how a blind master can see more than maybe you and I can with our eyes? It goes back, uh, this is a tradition that goes back even further than uh, Earth. If you remember um, in a a galaxy far, far away, (laughs) Luke Skywalker had to learn how to do that too. And you know what I love about these oriental ladies in here? Yes. Mostly they don't talk, but when they do, all they want to do is say, Marco Polo, who is more delicious? The oriental flower here or the women in your western world? And then they rip their clothes off and get on them. (laughs) But Marco Polo always has a good line. Doesn't he say something about, you know, oh, you know, all the women are beautiful in their own way. Oh, God, that's a good line. It's a great line, isn't it? Wow, yeah, so hot. Very diplomatic. (laughs) Well, so, you know, I will say one thing about this series. It looks fantastic. I know. When you first saw the trailer, Rafer, I brought this trailer to you, and I said, you have to watch how horrible this is. And your answer was, that looks kind of great. Well, I mean, (laughs) you know, you're watching watching television, and you've got, uh, you know, a a giant uh, ship out on the ocean in a storm. You've got uh, these amazing mountainscapes in the background. Oh, yeah. You've got the uh, the dust storm. um, Looks fantastic in this The costumes are beautiful. The makeup's fantastic. I'll give all that to you. Sure. All the sets, uh, you know, uh, uh, Kubla Khan's giant uh, palace looks fantastic. Um, I get, and I understand what you're saying about the, uh, the, 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 the orientalism that's in this, that's in this movie. Um, I guess that doesn't bug me so much, just that it just seems like the same old crap to me. Mm. You've got all these actors who are not really that great. They all look really good. We all like to think of Marco Polo as being this really handsome guy with the... He's very handsome, ...beautiful yeah. eyes, and his mustache looks great. But he's just another one of these actors, and... The dialogue is the same old dialogue, you know? They, It's kind of bad dialogue, and they just remove all the contractions so that it sounds like <laughs> old-fashioned, it sounds like archaic historical English in some way, you know? No. Nobody ever says, you can't come with me. Everyone has to say, you cannot come. Do you know what I mean? And, that's, it's, and it just seems like 
the same old kind of pulpy stuff. I don't, I don't see a big, when it really comes down to it, I don't see a big difference between this and Xena Warrior Princess, really. No, because Xena Warrior Princess is fun. Well, Xena Warrior Princess Xena is fun. At least Xena is fun. And this has the same problem that Exodus has. It's yes. long and boring and not fun. It's overly serious. And there's never a point where I'm able to pay attention for more than five minutes before my mind starts wandering again. Yeah. Long speeches, drawn-out scenes... Fathers and sons who, I don't know what their problems are with each other. I'm not clear what their problems are either. Um, Yeah, I think if this is their answer to Game of Thrones, I mean, I think what Game of of Thrones has going for it, and I think this is the big appeal, is is the same thing that the Mafia movies have going for them, which is just unbridled male id, right? You think back like, ah, those were the days. Fighting and sex. Fighting and raping, fighting and raping. (laughs) God, it was good back then. It was good to be a guy back then. And the Marco Polo thing, you just kind of feel like, I, I don't know, life looks kind of tough back then, and it, you know, everyone looks kind of dirty, and, and it didn't look that pleasant, and I'm not getting that great sense of, like, you know, like, like the, the Knights of the Round Table, the Vikings, these kind of lusty, adventurous men. This seems more like, I don't know, like Shogun or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, which I know was also hugely popular, but it... It's one of those things. It's a, it's a little wonky, too. Do you know what I mean? A little bit sort of politics and power mm. plays, and I'm not that interested. Yeah. If it was like Kill Bill, I'd be excited about it. <laughs> but it's not like Kill Bill. No. Right. It's like Exodus. So, so you say, so Marco Polo, you're saying not that, you don't like We're it. not even recommending it. I don't no. think you're recommending it. I'm not recommending it. I think, though, for sweatpants this week, it's impossible not to talk about it being of course. so expensive, so buzzed about. This is Harvey Weinstein's baby. I feel like we'd be negligent if we weren't talking about this horrible, horrible series. I think that I think that's right. But I I will say, I, you know, it's Netflix. I don't know what I don't know if there's any such thing as ratings. But I'll be very interested to see what, <laughs> to see what the ratings say about this about this this series. And I'm going to recommend everyone watch Xena instead. If you want some old world fighting and talking funny in costumes. All right. Should we turn our attention to the Golden Globes? Yes. Let's right. do that. Okay. So this is interesting. Of course, the Golden Globes are always fun because this is, you know, the first the first little inkling we have of what the Oscars are going to shape yes. up to be. And yes. also, you know, not to take anything away from the Globes. The Globes themselves are also fun. Yeah, they definitely are. There's the booze. There's the TV and the movie stars mingling, which nowadays there's such a fine line between movie and TV stars anyway. Right. And, um, yeah, so when these nominations came out last week, uh, we were excited about them. So for Best Motion Picture Drama, here's the rundown. Boyhood, Foxcatcher, The Imitation Game, Selma, and The Theory of Everything. Now, based on this list, Kristen, who do you think should win? Who do you think will win? All right, so I think The Imitation Game is going to win. Really? Here's why. It's just like The King's Speech, too. Exactly. It may as well be The King's Speech. It's a perfect Oscar picture. Everything about it makes you feel good. Everything is very clearly right or wrong. It looks terrific. The costumes are great. Cumberbatch is wonderful. Yes, he is. And I, I just, as much as I think Boyhood probably deserves to win, I think it. I think it's not going to. I think it's going to be Imitation Game because Boyhood might be a little too experimental for hmm. the Globes. What do you think? Well, based on that logic, I'm going to disagree with you twofold. 
<laughs> because based on that logic, I think the theory of everything would win over the imitation game. Mm. I think it's got. I think. And it's by got the a, way, I loved that movie. I liked both those movies, yeah. um, and I liked the theory of everything a little better. Perhaps I think it's a more compelling story. I think it's a little more relatable. It's not as um, troubling. I would say it's a much. It's a little more of an upbeat story. But given that. I still think Boyhood should win, and I think it's going to win. I think Boyhood mm. is going to be the art film that wins the Golden Globe this year. And you have to admit also, full disclosure to our listeners, Rafer is a member of the New York Film Critics Circle, and they already, including Rafer, you guys voted Boyhood to win this year. And not just us, also L.A., Boston, a whole bunch of other regional um, film critics uh, organizations have all given big, big props to Boyhood. So I think it's going to carry the day. We'll see. All right. Should we talk about best motion picture, comedy, or musical? Yes. All right. We have the nominees Birdman, The Grand Budapest Hotel, Into the Woods, Pride and St. Vincent. How do you feel about these nominations, Rafer? I mean, this is always a bit of a throwaway category to me. Um, this is the category, you know, when, when, when the Oscars expanded their best picture list to 10 instead of 5, I think what they were basically trying to do was the same thing that the Globes have been doing, which is five more movies in, com- in, in genres that don't usually get nominated. So that's why you've got this kind of weird comedy-slash-musical, you know, uh, uh, blend. I would say I think Birdman should win it, and I think Birdman's going to win it. I think this is a, a funny, really great film, great acting, amazing cast, well done technically, it's been a huge critical favorite. It's a it's a Hollywood movie about Hollywood, which people oh, they love. They love that. They love they that. They just love that. They never get tired of it. <laughs> and I feel that while I was surprised that um, at how well Grand Budapest Hotel did at at my uh, awards uh, organization at the New York Film Critics Circle, a lot of people like Grand Budapest Hotel. I still think Birdman's going to get it. All right. Well, I have a full confession. I'm seeing half these movies this week, so That's right. <laughs> I haven't seen all of these movies yet, but I'm just going to go in as a prediction and say Birdman also, Yeah. Um, just because based on what you've said, and you're very smart, Rafer, and everybody else I know who's in the industry that I've talked with, I think Birdman is going to win also. I think you can just kind of, even if you haven't seen it, you can kind of feel the momentum yeah. for that one. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so we're going to, we're not going to do the uh, best actor, actress, comedy, musical category, but we are going to do the actor and actress in the drama category. And that's because I think these are the categories that seem a little bit more analogous to the best actor Oscar. Yes. So for best actor in a motion picture drama, Steve Carell in Foxcatcher, Benedict Cumberbatch in The Imitation Game, Jake Gyllenhaal in Nightcrawler, David Oyelowo in Selma, Eddie Redmayne in The Theory of Everything. Kristen, your picks. All right. First of all, I have to say I'm super surprised by the Jake Gyllenhaal, which you're probably not, because I know you loved this movie so much. I did. I loved loved Nightcrawler. Yeah. But, so that was the big surprise for me to see him on this list. I think Steve Carell might get this, because he is unrecognizable in Foxcatcher, and so much of the creepiness and the tone of that movie is his physicality and how he carries himself and how he paces his language and... Without him, Foxcatcher never would have worked. It never, ever would have worked without him. And That's true. And he really just... I, I, I think he's going to get it. 
I think it's nice to see Jake on here because it's a heck of a performance that he gives in this kind of small, weird movie. And I'm glad that a lot of people realize what a great performance it was. Um, I will say, David Oyelowo is pretty amazing in Selma. The speeches that he gives, it is like you're watching Martin Luther King all over again. He is extraordinary in that movie. I do think if it were me, I would go with Eddie Redmayne for the theory of everything. Mm. And here's why. Even though I think Steve Carell does an astounding job in that movie, there is, and this is just... This is just a nitpick. This is just edging it out a little bit for me. A lot of it does have to do with the makeup, the prosthetics, the aging makeup, the uh, the extra flab on his thighs, all that <laughs> stuff. It's still an amazing acting job, a, a, a physical and, and emotional acting job. But Eddie Redmayne as Stephen mm. Hawking in that wheelchair, you know, unable to... He can only to, move his eyebrow. It's at, all like, he can do. Point. It's yeah. all he can do, and he's carrying entire scenes doing that. I think it's just amazing. So, I mean, you know, I'm talking about, you know, 51% for Eddie Redmayne versus 49% for Steve Carell. However, I think it's going to go to Steve Carell. Mm. I, he's, the, he's the bigger name. It's a much more eye-catching performance. Yeah. Foxcatcher has had a lot more buzz around it because of that, and I do think it will probably go to Steve Carell. Yeah. You know, I, I do have to say, though, if Eddie Redmayne got it, I'd be thrilled. I yeah. loved that movie. Yes. I, I, I actually liked the theory of everything better than Foxcatcher. Yeah, I was not and, actually a big fan of Foxcatcher. And Fox um, the theory of everything, I was, I, I loved it. I sobbed through half of it, and... Um, on a future podcast, listeners, we have the director who we interviewed of The Theory of Everything, so we'll be playing that at a future date. But uh, it was just, yeah, it'd be great if Eddie Redmayne won, but I think Steve Carell's going to get it. I think so, too. All right, Kristen, do best performance by an actress in a motion picture drama. All right, so our nominees for best performance by an actress in a motion picture drama are, big surprise, Jennifer Aniston yep. for Cake, Felicity Jones for The Theory of Everything, Julianne Moore for Still Alice, Rosamund Pike for Gone Girl, and Reese Witherspoon for Wild. What do you think about that, Rafer? What do you think about that list? It's a pretty good list. Um, you know, I, ha I just have to say, Jennifer Aniston and Cake, obviously a huge surprise. Um, you know, Jennifer Aniston and Award don't always seem to <laughs> go, go together. But we used to say that about McConaughey. Also. You're right. I know. I know. You're right. Um, you know, and she's had these glimmers here and there, right, with uh, The Good Girl. Everyone yeah. kept saying, like, oh, look, Jennifer Aniston can act. And then she mm. stopped acting and I, I, went, I, went back to the stuff she usually does. Yeah. I, and, you know, I just, I full disclosure, I haven't seen Cake yet. But my experience with Jennifer Aniston doing serious acting, she still just seems like Jennifer Aniston to me. Instead oh, no. of her hair down, it's in a ponytail. Instead of shaking her hands around her face saying, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, she's shaking her hands down by her hips instead. You know, <laughs> okay. it's just like, she's kind of always Jennifer Aniston to me. And I would love to see her do something like Steve Carell, like we were just talking about, where you actually see changes in how she moves you see changes in how she physically is, how she paces her language, and she never seems to be able to change that pacing. Supposedly she does that in this movie. Um, I'm not even sure this has been screened for New York critics yet. Uh, it played a, a qualifying run in Los Angeles for the Oscars, and that's the reason that it's making all these year-end lists. Um, I, I, I have not seen it. I don't know anyone who has, um, so we can't really speak to that. But um, given this list... 
It's a tough one. I might say Julianne Moore in Still Alice, and I think she has really got a shot at getting it. Um, in that movie, Julianne Moore plays an Alzheimer's victim. Um, she's got early onset Alzheimer's, and it's a great performance. Again, very few people have seen it uh, here in New York. It played a, a qualifying run, and um, so like the public has not seen it. Very few critics have seen it. I saw it because it was at the Hamptons, and she was there. Um, it, it's, a, it's a heck of a performance, and I think she's got a good shot to win it. What do you think? No, I haven't seen it yet either. Um, you know, like most of the critics in America, I haven't seen it yet. Everything I've heard, though, from folks who have seen it, yes, 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 that yeah. she'll get it. But if she doesn't get it, God, I'd love Felicity Jones to get this. She's really good in The Theory of Everything. She is so good as Jane Wilde in The Theory of Everything. She's so good. And she is literally carrying the weight of this movie scene after scene over and over again because she has to move around. She actually has to carry him physically. She has to do so much. And it's based on her memoir. Yes. Now, Rafer, now that we've talked about the Golden Globes... Now we have to talk about something else very, very important. Okay. It's called movie trivia. I know it well. (laughs) Last week we were talking about women going out into the world, having adventures. We had three great films last week, all three starring women, about women. We gave gave all of them a good date rating. I think that's right, yeah. Yeah. And so we played a clip of a film about a woman going out into the world on an adventure in honor of those, and we asked you folks out there, all you movie daters, to identify what movie this is. Here's the clip. Now, I ain't cheap, but I can be had. My minimum price for taking a stranded woman to a telephone is $400. Will you take 375 in traveler's checks? American Express? Of course. Not a deal. And here is the right answer. Well, movie daters, this is Ken from New Jersey, and I'm probably caller 1,000 with the correct answer to this week's really easy trivia question. A woman on an adventure is Romancing the Stone, the Bob Zemeckis film with uh, Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner and a whole bunch of other people that I cannot believe came out 30 years ago. I really like this film too, though. and I wish they hadn't uh, followed the money and made that sequel, Jewel of the Nile. Hated that one. Okay, thanks. Bye. Long-time listener, Ken. Ken has been loyal for so long. He's been with us like almost since podcast one, it yes, seems like. Yes, he's wonderful. Ken, thank you for calling. You were one of, of course, many, 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 many yes. callers this week. But we can only randomly select just one winner out of the pool. Um, but Ken, thanks as always for listening, for calling in, and for being such a great movie dater. Okay, so this week, because we've been talking about top five in which Chris Rock plays a comedian... We were trying to think of other movies about comedians. It's not really that easy. You've got a lot of movies that star comedians, of course, but you don't have that many movies about comedians. But we did find one. We're going to play the clip. Here it is. Anyone from out of town? Here you go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But you, sir, where, where are you from? Green Bay, Wisconsin. There's nothing funny about that. Uh, uh, what are you doing uh, while you're here in town? You having fun? Until now. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's fun. This guy's all right. Ooh, what is that movie? Who are those hilarious stand-up comics? <laughs> <laughs> it-
If you know the name of that movie, give us a call. 5717 Movies. You can also message us at facebook.com slash movie date podcast. We could all use a little So